Thanks for listening to Radio Never Apart. I'm your host, Jordan King. I have been looking forward to speaking with my guests on this episode for many, many years. Marty and I met in Vancouver when I was probably about 20. Uh, She now lives a very serene life on Vancouver Island, but in the early 1980s was part of numerous nightlife scenes from punk to new wave while she was bouncing between Calgary, Vancouver, and Victoria. I've been so looking forward to this, and I'm here speaking with Marty Piernik. Piernik? (laughs) Better? That's, That's better. That's nice. My my grandma, my grandmas and the ancestors are pleased. We yeah. we have our our history, our shared history is quite fascinating. I'm going to try to do a little introduction to a layperson listener who's like, "What am I listening to right now?" And I'll do right. my version and then you do your version, okay? Okay. <laughs> so, we <laughs> first met when I was working at a coffee shop in East Vancouver in 2001. And I was part of a little collaborative cohort of uh, artists and performers. We started putting on a little art house, like art school, cabaret type show. (laughs) Oh, that's what you were doing. (laughs) Oh, that's what we were trying to do. That's what we were going for. And it was, you know, it was kind of in our minds, this is very punk rock and edgy and alternative and experimental. And uh, we had our flyers out at the coffee shop that I worked at. And one of our flyers was quite um offensive let's say which was like on purpose Uh, on our part and we met because you expressed your uh concern about the flyer to the manager of the coffee shop who very i was appalled who very correctly said well by all means come in and speak to the employee who's been a part of putting together this event and let that employee know Uh, how you feel oh my god that's so funny and so you came in and we engaged in a conversation about it. But I have told many people over the last 20 years that that conversation changed my life and that I am so grateful that we had the opportunity to speak as a result of that and that you were willing wow. to, you know, tell me how it was, what you saw, what your interpretation was. And then, wow, look, we actually have a sort of shared situation between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And it really it it has changed my life. So now you tell your version. Wow. <laughs> oh my god! Like first, that's like I, I remember when you told me the story when we reconnected after all those years, and and because um, I couldn't remember what the circumstances was, how we really started talking. Because I would go into this place, I was being miss, you know square person now and I was in my it was I don't know in the early 90s and I was like or or late 90s I can't remember but anyways my my journey start my I completely switched gears in 1991 when I got clean and sober so I was working um at a at a social service agency and at lunch I'd go to that that coffee place where you worked at but I don't remember I kind of remember after you told me uh, but it's like, oh my God, it's like, I guess that hall monitor phase of my recovery had come out or something at the beginning. I can't believe that I called you on that. I was getting in touch with my feelings and if something, you know, didn't feel right, I, it was my, you know, duty and obligation to tell uh, not only you, but the whole world how I felt. So it was like, uh, but I'm glad that that it actually made us talk. It's like I, because when I, when you told me about what the imagery was, 
was I, I'm like, wow, that's so cool. And I'm going, that's funny that I actually um, felt disturbed by it. But you were very clear and concise. And it really had to do with like, so the imagery was, it was meant to be like a tabloid. And it was meant to right. be like a National Enquirer with, you know, salacious stories about each one of us who was a part of this little performance troupe. And so, yeah, obviously they were over the top, but it, there were references to alcohol, drugs, and prostitution. And you were very eloquent right. when you said, this is reflective of my life experience and I don't think that this is funny. Like, I don't remember the exact words you used, but it was very much right. like you might think that you're making light of this by putting out an image like this, but... It's actually like, I don't think, you know, saying it it was triggering, that maybe wasn't trendy language yet at the time, but it was something along those lines. And I really had to face the music because to me, we were just like, oh my gosh, we're being so crazy and so wacky. And then it's like, you were this like very well put together, like I work nearby and you didn't say where, maybe you said it was a recovery uh, house or a recovery program or something. But I was sort of like, wow, I didn't. That had that thought had never crossed our mind. I mean, we were 20, 20 or twenty one or whatever. So it's oh, a bit of a wake up wow. call moment, right? About what you're putting out into the world and what you're attaching yourself to and your name and your image to. And so we then got into a much deeper conversation over a you know subsequent period of time. And right. both were able to mutually identify that each other was a trans person. And I was like yeah. just very, very, very early in my transition and didn't really have I was like jumping through all these hoops with the medical system and trying to, you know, navigate. Oh, it was like one door was closing here. And it was so, it was such a crazy time in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And so you connected me with your family doctor who had experience with trans patients. And that was like the beginning of my journey, Marty. It was the. Uh, <laughs> so good. I just remember seeing your little raccoon eyes behind the coffee bar because you were probably like left over from the night before and it's oh my goodness it's like it was like little me or something and I wanted to connect with you or I was uh, to talk with you um because I felt like I I don't know I just felt like I was supposed to talk to you and then it's so neat that it because I think I was shocked that it was actually you that did that when and that's how we connected I think it's fabulous that you guys were doing all that god I was doing that when I was your age too like god the stuff that we were doing was just incredible we were like romanticizing all all of the you know all of the killer stuff at the time, yeah. Well, this is just it, is that once we got to know each other yeah. a little bit better and we hung out a couple times and then we lost yeah. contact. And, I mean, lots has happened. Whew, life has just been a whirlwind since then. It's, we didn't talk for probably right. 18 years. But we, when we did hang out those few times and we did talk, get to know each other a little bit, we had so much shared history. And I was so blown away and so fascinated by all that you were doing in the early 80s in Vancouver and into the 90s like what a journey so um let's take it back as far back as you want to go and tell people who you are and about your journey in the in the beginning (laughs) in the beginning oh my god my journey started in Calgary Alberta in 1962 I was born and so I I knew that I, you know, I knew there was something up, something was up, uh, you know, you know, I, as soon as my consciousness, like, you know, could figure that out, that it was like, you know, all that, all the, all the stuff that we go through, you know, boys do this, girls do that, all that stuff. And I was co- completely questioning all of it right away. You had to really keep it under wraps a lot more like, oh God, it's like, 
what you can do today compared to back then was crazy. I saw what happened to effeminate kids. It wasn't pretty. Like a lot of them came back like little zombies and stuff. And I just knew right from the start, just be really stealth even before I knew that of that word. Keep it all inside and just be all in drama as a kid and all the school plays and all that stuff. And and I just, I, I was a performer like all, you know, from first memories, like with my my mother had a modeling agency. She had a finishing school and modeling agency. Lorraine School of Finishing and Modeling. Yes, where you where you learn how to walk with a book on your fucking head. I would actually go there on the weekends to help her because I was just so fascinated with it all. And my mom would actually use me as a model to show how to walk with my <laughs> with a book on my head and and how to like we'd all be standing and sitting in a mirror, you know, and doing all these different expressions and go, oh, Marty, we'll show you and. It's like I'm doing it for all these women. It was so funny. So, yeah, I was like performing right at the get go. And I was in the Young Canadians of the Calgary Stampede. Uh, you know, I was and that was my lifeline. Like, it's like, thank God for that. Thank God for theater. Thank God for the arts, because I would have just been another statistic. I knew that there was something more than just the status quo. And this is like, you know, single digit grade years, like figuring this out very young. I started connecting with all these kids as we're, as we started growing up, like, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, and hearing about gay and this and that. And, and, and then we start, you know, you start to find your tribe type of thing. And it was usually a gay boy and, you know, a you know, a, 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 a gay girl or something, you know, that we didn't even know what that was, but we were just, you know, out of the norm. A lot of us, we would um, meet up in, there's a park right on 13th Avenue and uh, 13th, 4th Avenue and 13th Street or 13, or the other way around. Anyways, there's a big park there and there was a famous gay club right beside it. The Parkside Continental, it was like the the premier, it was like the club of uh, in Calgary. I think there was only two, but this was like the one and my friend Tiggy and I Tiggy was this uh runaway kid from Saskatchewan and she was like a year and a half younger than me so she was like 12 13 it was it was horrendous how young we were this is where like the club shit got into my veins right away so this was probably like 75 I was like around 13 and we used to climb this tree uh, right beside the in the park they overlooked the the parkside and every night like in, on the weekends it, w- it was the best and all of a sudden um you know the the cabs would start pulling in and these glamorous creatures would fall out of these cabs and be laughing and cackling and they look like, you know, Rita Hayward or like Marilyn Monroe and stuff. And, you know, that's when we heard about these are ones that went somewhere and became women and stuff and and um, and, and also drag queens and the whole that whole terminology. But we, I was so fascinated. It was like watching the Academy Awards every every weekend. When you see, when you have those moments, it's like however young you are that you go to like a nightclub, let's say, or you are exposed to that wherever you live right. in whatever tiny town it is. You there's just this magnetism, and like you know, you're sort of like you're kind of drawn to it, and you're fascinated. Maybe you're a little bit scared, but you sort of know it's yeah. maybe where you want to be, or where you think you might belong, or that you might be able to find a place. Like it's there's just it's, right. there's just a knowing. Uh, it's so incredible to hear it because Calgary is not somewhere that I would have imagined m- much of a scene, but the way you describe it is mm-hmm. magical. 
Yeah, it was a it was a full on gay scene for sure, like a, in that desert of a prairie type of thing, right? And um, and it was quite quite well known, and I think that one of the second ones on the west uh, in Western Canada to have like a um, a ball system and all that. But I wasn't, I didn't really get involved in any of that stuff. But it was my lifeline, you know, like many trans kids, um, you know, that word didn't even exist back then either. It was like transsexual. It's like it's like when you had those te- transsexual tendencies or, or tranny. It was it was our slang. And, and um, I know it's, it's offensive to some people, but that's kind of it wasn't for us back then. Uh, but anyways, we um, I ended up. Uh, yeah, I started to just, um, you know, sneak into the club at like about, you know, 15, 16. And they would, you know, we, they wouldn't let us. They wouldn't let us drink because they could tell, right? But it, you only have to be 18 to drink there. Uh, and um, by the time, um, just when I started, we started sneaking into the clubs. Um, that's when, when I started figuring out that uh, Vancouver was the place to go. And uh, there'd be a back and forth from Calgary to Vancouver uh, for a few years, because that's what a lot of the sex workers used to do. They would come out to Calgary and clean up for for a stampede and stuff, and and that's when there'd be this huge uh, party in 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 the gay clubs in Calgary and stuff too. Because and then everybody would go back to either Montreal or Vancouver for for like the winters, and and that's usually where their home was, and so. They would usually in those those cycles. It was like we were caribou or something migrating back and forth. And then you'd know that oh, so and so went to Vancouver this year for for the winter. And then they'd come back and they would be oh my god, they'd have like they'd have these they'd have boobs and they'd have like just went to crayons to perfume like you know eight months and and we were like oh my god, it's like we were on the next bus getting that next cycle. Uh, to Vancouver on that uh, Greyhound bus from Calgary to Vancouver. And um, so I think I, I was, it was 1970, 78, going into 79 when uh, we went out there. I went out there first first time with Tiggy. Actually, Tiggy did go the year before, and that's the person that I'm thinking about that came back. And she was just like, oh, my God, she was just all of a sudden this, this gorgeous young woman, right? And I, and I was still kind of, you know, gender fuck playing around and stuff. So I was determined to get out there and, and learn the magic eye line that we, we used to call it, you know, learning the art of the magic eye line. And we, um, uh, so we ended up, uh, I ended up in the School of Hard Knocks on Davie Street, 19, in that, in that time. And, um, you know, late 70s and, uh, I, the first time that I arrived there, I was, I, I couldn't believe it. It was just like an absolute, um, oh, wow. It was just like, it, honest to God, it was like just dying and, and entering a different life because all of a sudden, all of a sudden there was this, uh, Davy Street at that time was completely like the red light district. Girls were throwing their keys out of the window, you know, t- to people and stuff. It was just amazing. And um, there was like a no pimp rule uh, on Davy Street. So everybody just took care of each other type of thing. It was quite the time. And, um, and you know, the girl, you know, and the, the boys would work on Nicola and then up on Broughton would be... Um, the boys, but the real, some real effeminate ones. And then up one on Butte would be like, you know, the trannies would be working there. And I was like, but then on Jervis would be the girls plus the really fishy <laughs> uh, trans 
women that could pass type of thing. They were like, they were like, I had graduated to that. And so, so naturally Tiggy and I like gravitated towards the Jervis one because I was really effeminate my whole life. So I could, I was always mistaken for a girl. So I was, I was kind of blessed with the curse I used to call it. And, and so I went, uh, so, uh, yeah, I started to hang around, uh, some of the, uh, the ancients The you know, they're probably only like four years older than me or something, some of them, but, um, the ones that were just all put together and had surgeries and everything. And, and, and it was, and it was really weird because it was, uh, it was almost like you would, uh, I could look at it now and see it was like that. It was almost like you'd interview with all these different companies that were, which were these different transsexual women and see who would, who, who would hire you as an apprentice, you know what I mean? And then, and then you were, it was like fucking Harry Potter meets fricking Linda Lovelace or something. It's crazy. And, and, you know, and you'd sleep in their, you know, living room with your, your little knapsack and your, you know, your bag and stuff. And, and, um, and they would, you know, and you'd run and get their dry cleaning and their cigarettes and, you know, their half a gram of pot or whatever they were doing type of thing. And, and you just run around and do all that stuff and picking up the food and, and, and then they would set up every night, uh, you know, the, the, it was like the, the coven would, coven would arrive like the, these older trans, uh, and they'd sit, uh, they'd sit around the, the living room table with their makeup mirrors, the, the three-way makeup mirrors. And they were like a circle and it was like, and they would talk and listen, I would just sit in the back and I would just be like, just sucking it all up. Like just everything, like just everything they're talking about, how they're doing their lashes, you know? All of the crazy, Danielle, the one that I really wanted her to be my mother, she had these, she looked like a freaking Disney character, like Maleficent type of thing, her eyes, and she would just be, cause she, and the reason why I know now is because she, was, she used to be stoned on speed so much, and she would just mascara her eyelashes all the time, and, and then with a safety pin, be like fluffing them and just doing them all day so it, she looks like those um extensions that you get today you know type of thing and she was just she was she was uh, she was so stunning she was from montreal she had a sassoon red like uh deep red bob haircut and those um yeah that that disney uh demon lips type of thing beautiful demon lips type of thing and um blood red and and she did. She ended up. Um, she ended up taking me on and um, uh, taking me as, uh, as you know. It, it sounds like a Anne Rice novel because it really feels like it. You're hoping that she was going to turn me and set me out there to work, right? And then I would like I'd come back and uh, pay rent and stuff like that too. Like I never really. Uh, I luckily I didn't fall prey to some of the ones that really did make that happen right away like she didn't pimp out she was she truly was like a mother I, I kind of lucked out that way so I kind of waited uh, you know I, I I bet my time I can't remember how long it wasn't too long but then she you know she knew the doctor's names and all that stuff and what psychiatrist I had to gather all this information so so finally um after a lot of a lot of begging and stuff you know a lot of the other older trans saying oh well I guess she'd be okay you know you'd have to really pluck those eyebrows or something you know what I mean like they're all nasty and I I knew deep down that I was prettier than most of them but I was just like okay type of thing it's like so I ended up um uh 
one one night Danielle said, "Okay, we're gonna um, I, I'm gonna paint your face and uh, let's get you out there." And it's like, uh, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I was in my glory, and I'll never forget it. It was so weird. It's like it was it was like freaking like disco rama, freaking glitter eyeshadow, like crazy. And um, and then she put on this black wig on me that that was kind of like a share wig that it's it's like an afro but it's flat on top and then the afro goes down to your shoulders but then it's flat on top it was like it was so disco it was hilarious and then and a and a sheepskin vest and my you know fake tatas pushed up to the ceiling and these and black sheep jeans black sheep used to be a, 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 a quite the jean company here and a pair of platform shoes and uh, uh, heels type of thing. And, and I just remember walking up Davies Street and as, as I get, got farther up and everything, I just, I just felt like my peacock tail was just unfurling. It was just amazing. Uh, it was such an amazing feeling. And I was basically a kid, but that's, that was my crayons to perfume. And, um, and that's when I never looked back. And I started to get like the hormones from, you know, Danielle and um, finding out, you know, it's like it's best for you to uh, make enough money to get your nose done. So it's a perfect nose because then you're the prettier, prettier you are, the more dates you can pull and then you can get your get, then you can get your titties. And then it's like with those, it's like you can make even way more money and get your hoo-ha. Right. And um, and um, so that's that was my North Star. However, you know, it's, uh, uh, in the meantime, I ended up getting uh, picked up by Juvie Juvie, uh, and sent back to freaking Calgary. But luckily I I had met, I had had some connections, so I kept on the hormones and, um, and, and I lived with my dad and my dad, his truck driving cowboy open-minded soul. I just love him. He let me freaking still, you know, get all decked up and go out to the clubs and go turn tricks with Tiggy. He didn't know, really know what was going on, but it's like, you know, but he allowed my physical being to happen, which was really good. And that's when I ended up um, working in one of the newer clubs that had just opened up and it was called The Backlot and it was an after hours bar uh, that would open up after the, the neighboring gay bar uh, that was attached to it uh, would close. And um, it was infamous. And uh, the backlot, the original backlot in Calgary on 9th Avenue. And, and there, was, uh, there, were, there was some people doing shows there, uh, but there was a lot of um, straight people sh- uh, showing up to it because, you know, there wasn't a lot of after our camp, you know, uh, booze cans like you know nudge nudge wink wink booze cans to go to right and and so um so that but what was cool was that um Tiggy and I picked up a lot of newer music in in Vancouver while we're going through all that so you know Nina Hagen came into the picture uh Diamanda Gallas like all these people these powerful women and stuff that we were really talked attracted to Susie and the Batches all these really really early early recordings of these 
punk women and stuff and their their earliest works and and Marianne Faithful Why'd You Do What You Did came out and um, all artists that I just love the Broken English album was amazing I love that you were into stuff that was I mean correct me if I'm wrong not mainstream at that time oh god I couldn't stand the mainstream we just did the mainstream just to you know to find our victims <laughs> well we were actually the victims we were the ones underage right but you know what I mean uh, that's where we got to the clubs because you know the main clubs were like that but we would always find like the after hours weird places that were you know in somebody's house or some what is it Yale Town used to be like just wharfs fishmongers were and stuff and they were slowly dying out and a lot of uh there used to be a lot of underground clubs and bars and stuff like that that's where Tiggy and I were starting to uh get a get a taste of some of that some of that music. So when when I was back in Calgary, I started headlining at the club, the back lot, and I was I was just 18 years old, and I was headlining. There was a marquee on Ninth Avenue, and I remember showing my dad, going, "Yeah, see, that's what I'm doing." And it was like Marty and the Backlot Girls presents, and then it would be like Blitz or something. I remember doing that Blitz show, doing Marianne Faithful. Why would why'd you do what you did? And all of a sudden, I was backcombing my hair and I was putting green eyeliner and Tiggy was helping me do it and she's going oh girl you're gonna this is so you that's so you trust me I knew something was gonna drastically change when I did that because here I was the back clock girl and people just loved me and stuff it was not you know it was Calgary 1980 it was not very they weren't that hip and so I so I walk into the club to do this uh to do Marianne Faithful and I remember walking through it and people were just like looking at me going why are you doing this to yourself oh my god you're so pretty Marty why when we did the number and I had Tiggy was in a coffin and all this stuff drama 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 right for why'd you do what you did and it looks like she was like my dead lesbian vampire or something I don't know it was something strange you know and I'm playing with her barbed wire pussy and all that stuff as it says in the song right and <laughs> And then, and everybody's like, like, you know, jaws on the floor. When it ends, it may sound weird to say it, but it's true. So many times when Tiggy and I would were, were doing stuff that was like that, out of the norm when we were pushing stuff back then. After the number's over, you'd hear a fucking pin drop, and then you'd hear the spattering of applause, and then people would start to clap more. And, and that's when I realized I, I need to go back out to the coast. Not only do I have to kind of go mainstream and figure this out, but I have to, I, I have to finish my body stuff because you know I may be fair and Nordic and stuff like I can feel like that testosterone wanting to blow up at any second right people in Calgary must not really have known what to do with it I mean I'm sure they were fascinated and sort of intrigued but I don't it just maybe was so foreign for them and not something that they were otherwise seeing or experiencing so it probably was a bit like well once other people clap I'll start clapping because I enjoyed it but I don't really know if I should be clapping or not right away or like it just was so progressive I'm sure it was very like that that happened at the love affair too like fast forward like four years later and and the first time that we did Tiggy and I did like a full show there and at the end that happened with us too it was complete dead silence and I know somebody taped that so if anybody ever taped that and found it like please send it to me so you and Tiki had you know you were like doing your thing in Calgary at the back lot but you'd spent time in Vancouver you know on a couple different occasions and so you were gonna then go back to the coast we we're gonna go back to the coast but I wanted to Tiki wanted to go to Vancouver and I wanted to go to Victoria because I'd been to Victoria before and there was just some uh, there's such a there was such a cool goth vibe in the 
the early 80s in Victoria, like all those old buildings and stuff. And it just talked to me. And it's like, and, it, and I just thought it was a real good nesting place to, to um, you know, figure out my whole vibe, right? So, so when I went there first, I went there for about a year and a half. And, um, and that's when I really got immersed in punk rock. And I, and I became um, uh, part of a girl gang, uh, and these are cisgender girls <laughs> that, you know, I, I hate that word, but you have to say it just to discern what the story, and, and they were in this wannabe band slash, uh, girl gang called the Speed Queens. And, and the reason why they're called the Speed Queens is because we all lived around James Bay and Victoria. And there was a James Bay laundromat and this huge laundromat. And all of the washers and dryers were the Speed Queens, right? So, and we would always meet up in there and smoke dope and, and just listen to our, you know, listen to weird music on our, uh, I can't remember, boom boxes or whatever the hell, how, how we were listening to it and just take over the whole place, right? And be dancing around and, and our, uh, whatnot and so um but before before I became part of them it's like I met them in a in a uh it was a it was a dyke sort of punky club called the queen's head it could be really vanilla beige sometimes but there were some nights that, and I, I would go there and that's when um that's when I met um uh the leader of the speak queens her name was uh killer louise snot and um she was uh, she was uh, dressed. She was dressed in. A, uh, it was Halloween, and she was dressed in a um, like sort of like a Doris Day look, like from the fifties, like with the flipped wig, you know. And uh, the, and she was like, she came up to about my boobs, you know. I'm like five eleven. She's probably like five two or something. And she was giving. She asked me if I she could give me a dumb blonde aptitude quiz. She was giving dumb blonde aptitude quiz because she hated blondes. I, I found out later, and so. So I ended up throwing the questions back at her, like just, you know, wrapped it up in, in the, the weirdest weird that she obviously loved. And, and so by the end of that night, she, she, her and I, um, she, you know, I couldn't get rid of her. Like for about four days we partied and, and then, then she just decided to have a, uh, she called all the speed queens together <laughs> and it was like this big thing and making me an honorary, not an honorary speaker, my, uh, a speed queen, but the only blonde that was left to, to uh, allowed to go in there. And that was very serious for her. So it's like, uh, uh and then, um, so they lived, uh, a couple of them lived above the, uh, above the Diglo abortions, which was a really famous punk rock, uh, band at the time, uh, the Diglo abortions. And, um, and um, yeah, and the punk the the punk band scene was pretty cool there. That that was one of the stops that people would make, you know, on tours and stuff. And so that's where I really got into uh, punk rock music. And then of course I went to the gay clubs and I started uh, I started doing you know basically doing trans trans drag down in the club there and becoming very famous for doing punk rock stuff like Wendy O Williams, you know sex junkie and all that stuff and I'd be pounding myself it was crazy it was great it was kind of like getting my getting my legs and that whole lifestyle I was really drawn to it because like all of the women that were involved and in that I was around with were very strong very strong women and it's like and they introduced me to very strong uh musicians and stuff and that's where I that's when I met 
physically and, um, you know, well, first musically and then physically, Nina Hagen and all, and Lena Lovich and um, like just because we'd go to Vancouver to for shows and stuff and we'd always make our way backstage. For me, being a, a woman of trans experience, it's like I, I find that, you know, I was really drawn to that because I was, you know, I grew up, you know, with, with Lorraine's school of finishing and modeling, right? And it's like, and then, and then with, and then around drag queens and stuff. And so, and I, I, I was so relieved when I knew I could just, you know, wear army boots and, and, um, you know, a ripped up t-shirt and still be a, and still know I'm a girl and be, and be, and, and, that, and everybody else was doing that too, right? And not only that, with these strong women were playing with gender and would go, one would, you know, we'd go out and she, she'd have a dildo down her, you know, David Bowie freaking spandex pants experience for that night, right? Type of thing. And you know what I mean? It was just, and it was all, we were all just fun and playing with it all, gender and stuff. And, you know, we used to call it, you know, just gender fucking and stuff. And now it's like, you know, it's so neat that like there's words for it and gender fluid and gender nonspecific and all this stuff. And people can actually live those lives and not have to. I always question that about myself. Like, you know, if, if, if I could be a kid now and explore gender fluidity and all that stuff too, I could be a completely, totally different Marty because, you know, there wasn't that community. There wasn't, it wasn't okay. It's like, you had to go get your cunt and that was it. You had to go get it or, and, or you, or you die. <laughs> yeah. You'd be killed. And that's what makes me sad because it's like, I, yeah, I was happy doing all that, that um, transforming and that gender fuck part. But it's like, but I was, it it, it was so in our head that we had to like go find these surgeries and be like as stealth as we can be just so that we could live because, because you couldn't live uh, uh, in a, between a gender binary and, and survive unless you were like in New York or something. And like in real, and even then it was quite limited back then, you know? So it was, um, it's it's sad. a lot of people were fucked up because of that. You know what I mean? Let's dial it back to you went from Victoria, so you were right. part of the Speed Queens, and this would have been the early 1980s, right? Yeah. And yeah. when did you relocate to Vancouver then, where you were part of the new wave and night, nightlife scene? Let's see. Um, it was about 19, yeah, about 1981. Yeah, 1981. I started, we st- well, we started going, you know, to Vancouver for bands and stuff. And then I would like slip off to go to, uh, and, uh, you know, some gay friends or another trans girl from Vancouver would take me to the love affair and stuff. And it was, um, love affair was quite, quite gay at first. And um, it was quite gay, but very, it was very club kid. If you see pictures from back then, it looks kind of like club kid means Studio 54. It's, it was really like that. And I came in at the tail end of that. 1981, when I went back there, it was punk. Like it was like everything was like punk. Like you had to, and, and I came from, and I came from uh, Victoria. So I was already punking for like a good year and a half. That's when we started really infiltrating the love affair. That was kind of our home. That's where we did most all of our shows. And we were starting to experiment with our own uh, our own sound and our own music too. Like we were starting to do that. And we, we used to we used to test out stuff and, and have it playing as we were like changing, like our intermissions type of thing. And so a lot of a lot of performers are talking talking stuff and, and by that time, uh, it was it was uh, a, a real 
real a real mixture of uh, uh, punk rock and and new wave and straight gay everything. It was a real mixing point. It was so great. It was like just everybody was everybody was mixing there and like a lot of um, there wasn't any foo foo playing there like it was it was all very alternative or you know fam- uh, famous punk stuff uh, being played you know by like 1983 four that's when we were at our apex Tiggy and I uh, in Vancouver and we, we had them like we had them lined up around the block to get into Sierra stuff it was crazy and we didn't and honest to god with the whole trance thing I, we, I didn't know who knew what or what knew who or whatever we just just didn't we didn't even want to jinx it and even talk about it. It wasn't even cool. It wasn't cool to even talk about that stuff. You know what I mean? Like people wouldn't even, maybe they were behind my back. I don't know. It's like, I don't know what went around, but it's like, it was all, it was that kind of time. You definitely weren't going to like announce that you're trans. You know what I mean? I'm sure that it was the nudge, nudge, wink, wink. That's what, why it was so popular for people to come to watch maybe type of thing. Cause, but it wasn't that blatant, whatever, because again, it wasn't a safe time. Plus pre-social uh, media and pre-internet information is spread so quickly and it's so fast yeah. and it's a tag, it's yeah. a hashtag, it's a, you know, it's a DM, it's an yeah. anything. So you could kind yeah, of get away with just doing your thing, which I think is very different from now. So if we can, I would love to jump ahead a bit. You've had such a multifaceted life. I know some of the many hats that you've worn at different points in time. You you and Tiggy were really involved in music, but you went into recovery and that was sort of a breaking off point from your involvement in that scene. Right. Yeah. 19, 19, yeah, June 1991 was, was when I completely left the scene. And yeah, that, and that's when we were cutting that Magdalene Ho album and, um, and uh, we were just finishing it, and I was in the studio. We were in the studio, and I was. We were losing so much money because I was so bottoming out on. I was really into heroin then, and, and that's when Tiggy said, "We have you have to go to detox and clean up." And and that's when she took me there, and that's that's when I realized that I that I had to completely change everything. Like that's what they told me in there. They and I believed them. They said. Hey Marty, the only thing you have to change is everything, and I completely understood what they meant because, um, yeah, life and art was um, was there was no separation whatsoever, and I just didn't want to. I was so f- afraid that I was just going to become another tragic, you know, you know, want to be artist or you know, halfway art or whatever we we're doing, like whatever you know, the it girls of the time or whatever, and that that our pain that we were putting down in, in prose and in song and, and stuff that we we're doing, it was, it, when you're getting to that point, it's, it's so, it can get so dark. And if you don't, and you, if you don't have anything to differentiate just, you know, regular life and that it, it can become, well, it did, it become, became toxic for me for sure. Yeah. Cause all of our stuff was therapeutic. Like that's what we we're doing. Looking at it, looking at it, now it's like 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 most artists like where you're you're trying to you're trying to you you're purifying the vessel through your art you're trying to get that stuff out and those stories out and and I still do that on my YouTube channel and stuff it's all about like moving that energy like getting that out um and um you know so other people can get something out of it too right and and that's the perfect that absolutely and that's a perfect segue I think I mean without trying to 
rehash all of the last 20 years. I know you, so you, we talked about that you had been in a, a, like a case, you know, frontline casework and that you were teaching yoga at a certain, for a certain juncture and yeah. like all kinds of stuff happened. Mm-hmm. But fast forward to the YouTube community that you have started to build and that, and that was pre pandemic that you started to share a bit yeah. about your life and your history on YouTube. Um, how did that begin? Well, it actually started on, um, I started social media around 2014. I really put myself out there and was actually, uh, I didn't even realize that I was stealth again. And it's like, and here I was in recovery. I just, I just left my uh, last husband and I had moved back to in White Rock, Vancouver. And then I, all of these, I I'd start, started this social media thing and I was, and because I was writing and I was blogging and all of a sudden I uh, was getting approached by these neat women and stuff. And, and then I found out their name was Laverne Cox, up and coming famous trans advocates and actors and stuff that were starting stuff. But it's like they were really intrigued by what I was writing and they wanted me to, um, they suggested that I, you know, take it down and just, um, you know, they, they really encouraged me to, to write and to, you know, write a book or something. And then to also, but continue to blog and get, you know, get our experiences out there. But um, just how to navigate um, the social media experience. And then so, um, so, so through that, um, so through that, I, I started, um, you know, posting stuff and, and, um, and a lot of my friends that I was, were saying like, why are you posting this trans stuff and everything? And I'm going like, and then I realized that some of them didn't even know my story. And so I have to tell them that. And then some of my friends that were gay and stuff were like kind of worried, like, why are you like exposing yourself so much? And I just felt really drawn that I needed to. I feel like it's, uh, I come from 12 step recovery from since 1991. And I know that to heal myself, I had to like, you know, uh, you know, I had to talk. It's like, I had to share with other people and, and give it away. And, and, um, and learn from other people. So, so anyways, that's what I started to do on social media. And then um, I heard of this transgender day of visibility uh, that I, I don't know if it was one of the first ones or whatever, one of the first ones that I ever heard of. So it was, um, it was like three and a half years ago. And, um, and I decided to, I decided to make a video and put it live out there as I was doing a live live stream. And I just talked about my story. And then all of a sudden I got I was getting all of this amazing feedback afterwards about, wow, it's like, you know, you know, asking me all these questions and stuff. And, um, and I, it was really overwhelming actually. And, um, cause it was really quite vulnerable to do that. And then, but, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a spirit, I'm a spirit seeker and I just, and it just felt really, uh, important to, uh, to make a call out, out to the cyberverse, you know, not only just to tell about my story, saying like, I, you know, I survived. It's like one of us survived and this is what I did. Is there anybody else out there? This is like, it's like me with a ham radio, like, you know, you know, looking for my friends, anyone that survived out there, SOS type of thing. And, and, and then all of a sudden all, I started meeting all these amazing women from all over the world and men and, um, and different friends started coming back into my life and, and, um, and, I, because there's absolutely no, uh, there was 
not much, if anything, I couldn't find it, about trans health for the aging, you know, transsexual, transgender, whatever you want to call it, woman. It's like, so so there was none of that. Like there's, you know, it's like, all, you know, we're, it's the same story by any older uh, trans person that's my age that lived through that. It's like, we're always, we're always educating the doctors. We're always educating, you know what I mean? Like, all doing that. And it's like, but it's like, you know, I, I wanted to find out, you know, uh, different questions about trans health, like, you know, about my, how, you know, how long are my implants supposed to last? Is there a difference with my blood tests and asking questions about this and started finding other uh, YouTubers, not many uh, of older experience, um, that were, that were sharing that information. And, and, and that's kind of like, we're in this, um, we're in this really interesting era, uh, time right now where gathering, able to gather more research on a plethora of different stuff. But for me, you know, the whole aging transgender experience, that's what my um, my whole platform was at the beginning. But in, in, in the end, three and a half years later, what has happened is that I, there's I'm creating this this uh, safe space community, you know, channel that we meet twice a week uh, uh, for live streams. And I have different guests and different people that host with me. And um, we talk about all of those issues, but we also talk about, you know, our healing journeys too. Yeah, it's such an incredible resource and like, I'm so blown away by it because I also know that like it does take quite a bit of work to to make something like that happen and to build something like that over time. And and this was all pre-pandemic. You were almost ahead of the curve a little bit because when everything really locked down in the springtime, you were like already got my online community happening, already got my weekly check-in times yeah. on YouTube live set up. Um, yeah. So yeah. you were, it was a pretty six, you know, seamless transition in a lot of ways for you to be able to continue to engage with a community online that you'd already been building over time and stuff. So I think it's super yeah. commendable. I love it. I love that you're doing it. And I see when I've been able to tune in and watch, you're so gracious and sharing about your history and sharing stories and having such a variety of different guests on. And, and it seems like the people who participate in the conversations are from across all generations as well, which I think is pretty amazing. Mm. And I'm so proud of you too. Like I know it sounds cliche, but you are what we fought for. And you know, when we when I see strong trans women, you know, uh, out there, you know, not not only creating space, but really realize, you know, there you are. You're just living your life, and it's like, and as you should be, and it's like, and that's. And that's, that's what I always wanted. And, and that's what we fought for. And now it's like, you know, I know it's still really hard out there for, you know, people of the trans experience, especially, you know, where, depending on where you're born and whatever like that, or where you live and stuff. But um, when it, but when I see all the opportunity that's out there and the, and the people that are taking, uh, are going with those opportunities and then it's uh, and some of the ones that watch me on YouTube and, and I get to know them a bit and they're they're just going to college and doing doing their stuff and it's like and it's no big deal and they're 21 and they're just you know they're just in college and it's just normal and it's like oh my god like oh like it was like a pipe dream to even think that you could do that like people would just laugh at you know what I mean like you'd have to it, I always liken it that I always liken it that that I felt like I was uh, 
even, even when I start, when I was able to work in normal life, you know, whatever that freaking is, you know what I mean? Like a regular nine to five working in social work and I'm on the bus and it would always, uh, my experience would always be awoken in me very rudely you know, I, something that would happen on the way to work, I'd just get onto the bus like uh, like like usual and sit down and, you know, be smiled at by a guy or something, something all normal and just sit down and going to work. And then this very obvious trans uh, person gets on the bus and you hear these cackles and shit, right? Like people being really horrible. And I feel myself slinking into my... I, and I, I remember I felt myself slinking into the seat and... And just going into stealth, I just got to get to work. I don't want to deal with this. And then, and then I remember at this one time, thinking this is so fucked up. And 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 the, I feel like I'm a, I'm in I'm in Nazi Nazi Germany, and I'm a, a non-Jewish looking Jew, and I can get and and I have this, uh, you know, I'm passing privilege type of thing. And 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 I'm seeing and seeing this person getting harassed on the bus, and I do nothing. And I, and I, and I was so, it, it just gutted me the last time that it happened like that. And that's when I actually started reaching out and doing some work at, um, high risk down in downtown uh, and in the downtown East side, it was for a trans, um, drop-in center. And, um, cause I knew that I needed to, to, um, uh, face what, what I was being repelled at because, you know, we kind of fall into that complacency. It's especially out in that world. It's, it's not as bad anymore because you don't have to, you know, today I would just go, I'd just stand up and go, hey, what do you, leave, leave her alone type of thing. Like just, you know, I'd just get up and just stand right up and, you know, all that stuff and, um, and, not, and not care if my stealth status went blowing away but it's it's yeah it's a it's a different world now and I'm really happy about that and and when I see you and see you navigating in the world and everything like that I it makes me really proud and makes me feel um yeah it just makes me feel really good Jordan you're doing really good oh well my gosh I mean it's like we'll, we'll get all teary here because I feel the same about you and I also think that I am so lucky to have met you and to have connected with you like it truly did change the course of my life like no question and I took so much from learning about like I just I'm I continue to be so inspired learning about the lives and the histories and the journeys of trans women that came before me because there just is not we're not ever taught that. So I think you are the first trans woman that I ever met who really could speak about a history that was unlike anything I ever had any clue about. I mean, performing in right. nightclubs in Vancouver in the eighties. And I like, I'm of such a shoulder generation. And I always say that because when I first moved to Vancouver, there was still that grittiness downtown. Granville street was still quite dingy. Davie street was still really colorful. I mean, it was 1998. Um, you know, gentrification was starting, but it just like went into crazy overdrive, hyperdrive. So like I saw little bits of it and I have a sense of it, but I didn't obviously experience it. And it's like, you know, full heyday in the, in the eighties and stuff, but just hearing you talk about it and getting to know that you had a whole life doing that and performing and not in like a drag context, but in a, yeah. this new wave world and stuff. I was so, so, so inspired. 
Yeah, so I, I hope to continue these conversations and these intergenerational conversations. Thank you so much, Marty. This has been such a joy. And where can people find you? Uh, all my social media platforms. I'm Marty Pants. Marty Pants, that's Marty, like Mardi Gras, M-A-R-D-I. That's my name. And then Pants, P-A-N-T-Z. Marty Pants. Yeah. So it's on all social medias. I really let loose on my social media as much as possible. It's kind of a, it's kind of a free flow performance piece. Green Acres, Ava, Ava Gabor out in, on Vancouver Island, just tripping out and having fun and sharing it with the world, anchoring my little piece of light out here. And, uh, as as I hope you are and your listeners, and so we can keep shining. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Marty's story. She's pretty incredible. She's lived such a dynamic life, and she's so wise and just wonderful to speak to. This interview is also the beginning of what will be a mini-series over the next few months, where I'll be speaking with trans women who, as part of their journey, were also performers in nightlife contexts. This is part of an exhibition that I've curated that launches this month, October 2020, at Never Apart, both in a gallery at the Physical Centre as well as uh, online. At the time of this recording, galleries and all gatherings have been banned due to a sharp increase in COVID cases in Montreal. So unfortunately, in-person visits won't be possible until after October 31st at the earliest. But the exhibition, which is titled Bijou, can be experienced virtually at neverapart.com, as well as linked through my website, jordankingarchive.com. A huge thank you to the team at Never Apart for supporting production of this podcast. Thank you for listening. Make sure to leave a rating or feedback through whichever platform you're using to listen. And until next month, thanks for listening.